Good morning, Abundant Life. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest event in all of human history. This is going to be an Easter unlike any Easter we've ever had in all of church history as we're having Easter at home. And I realize this COVID-19 pandemic has created great anxiety, uncertainty. Many of you are going through a very difficult, difficult time. It's as though suddenly we're in the night, but God wants to give you I'm convinced his light. Let me ask you, have you ever maybe been lost in the night, lost in the dark? I have been. And it creates a real sense of anxiety, a real sense of maybe just feeling really panicky. So last fall, I was outside and I was outdoors, being kind of the outdoorsy guy I am. I've kind of described myself at times being a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, like I love city living and the urban vibe. But when I go home, I live such a chaotic, busy life, I like to just kind of get off the map and go to quiet, secluded places. So I live about 20 miles outside Kansas City Metro on a little farm. And I love being outdoors, especially in the fall. It's where I refuel. It's really uh, kind of just a therapeutic for me to be alone and uh, in the woods and just really worship Jesus in those moments together. And there's no greater place to be, in my mind at least, than in the October woods and the leaves are changing and you're watching the sun go down and the beauty and it's just uh, gorgeous. Well, on this particular night, I stayed clear into the night. It was completely dark and I think I know exactly where I'm at. I start walking out of the woods, going to head for home, and all of a sudden where I think I am, I realize I'm really not there because I think I'm going to come out to a creek and all of a sudden the creek isn't there. Uh, I, I come out to a soybean field instead and all of a sudden I realize, hey, somebody's moved the creek. Uh, where am I? I'm not supposed to be in a soybean field. I'm supposed to be crossing the creek and all of a sudden I realize I am lost. You know why? Because things look different in the dark than they do during the day. And I realized then I had been walking the wrong direction. I'd been completely turned around. And I want you to know it's exactly where many of us find ourselves today. We're kind of in the dark. And I want you to know that God has given you the light to see into the night. I live about five miles outside this town of Pleasant Hill, okay? So Pleasant Hill is a city set on a hill. And so when I use the term city, I'm using it loosely, all right? It's a town set on a hill. But from five miles outside of town in the middle of the night, I can see uh, the, the lights from Pleasant Hill. And that was kind of my landmark. And so I'm looking for that haze of light on the horizon of the night. I find it. But the amazing thing is somebody has moved the entire town. It's supposed to be over there. And now it's over here. I mean, I realize I am really, really turned around. And so my friend who's with me, he gets out his phone and you know, there's a compass on the phone and he confirms the direction that that is indeed Pleasant Hill. And I'm looking at the light from that town in the night and that's kind of what got us home. And do you realize that God has given us his light, God's son, and he's given us a compass, God's word. And many of us, we are indeed feeling the sense of darkness and maybe despair uncertainty, anxiety. Uh, 10 million people have lost their job just in the last two weeks. 
This week alone, the Surgeon General of the United States said that this is our 9-11 moment. He said this is like our Pearl Harbor moment. And I realized for a lot of us, it's like being in the dark. What happened? It was day. And we were living under the spout where the glory comes out. And I want you to understand that ultimately, God is not ultimately abandoning you. He's not ultimately going to leave you. He wants to grow you and refine you. And there's a reason I'm convinced in the middle of this crisis and chaos that God has allowed it on our life and maybe even our nation because God uses crisis in our lives to reveal whether we have a real faith or a plastic faith. You know what Jesus says? He says that gold is a metaphor of faith. That's why he said in Revelation 3 to the Laodiceans, he said, buy of me gold, try it in the fire. What happens when gold is fed through the fire? It does not destroy it, but rather refines it. God wants to refine your faith. But if you have a plastic faith, what happens to plastic when it goes in the fire? It is destroyed. And I want you to know for some of us, quite frankly, the idea that Jesus came out of the grave It's got to be a hoax. It can't be real history. Hey, for many of us, I realize as you're listening, I mean, the idea of Jesus being deity, that he died for our sin at Calvary, that he rose from the dead, he's alive today, is about as real as this Jesus right here, a plastic Jesus. But we're going to see how Jesus wants to be more real in this moment of your life than he has ever been before. Even as we face a crisis like one maybe we've never been through before. This was Habakkuk. As we begin the study of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet. Habakkuk was a preacher of the word of God, a prophet of God. Here is a man that loved God. But he is facing a crisis like he has never seen before. And he's going to ask God some questions, like some of the questions maybe we've asked God. Like, God, are you there? God, do you really care? If you are so good, why is the world so bad? God, if you love us so much, why do you allow the innocent to suffer? And it feels like you allow the wicked to prosper. It's the 7th century B.C., and the Babylonian army is encroaching on Jerusalem and Judea. And it doesn't make sense what he sees because he doesn't understand what God is really doing. He begins to ask God some questions. Habakkuk chapter one and verse one. He says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgments proceed. Here is Habakkuk. Normally, as the prophet of God, he speaks to the people on behalf of God. But here you have the prophet of God speaking for uh, the people to God. He's saying, God, we don't understand what is happening Why do you allow the Babylonians who are pagan people, who are evil people, to imprison and enslave righteous people and good people? It doesn't make any sense if you are so holy. Why do you allow the wicked to prosper? He's having a real crisis of faith. And I'm convinced for many of us, we might be having a similar crisis of faith. What we're seeing 
doesn't currently make sense. We don't understand what God might be doing. And I want you to see that a crisis of faith happens when our faulty perception of God collide with unmet expectations from God. And that's what happens here to Habakkuk. He has a faulty view of God. And because he has a faulty view of God, he has these unmet expectations from God. And I'm convinced that for many of us, that's part of the issue. That's part of the problem. We don't fully understand who God is. We think we know who God is. We think if God loves us and cares about us, he'll never let anything bad happen to us. But I want you to see, that is not what God has really promised for you and me. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. You see, God has never promised to keep us from suffering. He has promised, though, to deliver us through the suffering. Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. That means if you're in Christ, even when you suffer, you can be an overcomer because Christ suffered, but Christ overcame. And you see, the reality is we live in a world that is cursed by sin, and with sin came pain. And ultimately, what happens so much of the time is we have false perceptions of God that leads to these unmet expectations from God. And that's how people begin to lose their faith during a crisis of faith. But I'm convinced personally that today God wants you to find your faith. And through this COVID-19 crisis, many are going to come to faith and are coming to faith. And I see ultimately God wants to not ruin your faith, but reveal your faith and refine your faith. And so much of the time, the opposite is what happens. His name is Marty Sampson. Uh, So many Christian celebrities recently have left the faith. Marty Sampson was one of the best-known Christian songwriters for the last 20 years, a songwriter, a worship leader with the church Hillsong. Hillsong has written more worship songs maybe than any other place in church history with 26 different countries representing churches that are known as Hillsong churches. And Hillsong has shaped so many churches and so much worship that happens in churches. Marty Sampson, since 1998, has been writing songs, many of which Christians all over the world have sang. But recently, just last year, he posted a blog where he announced he's leaving the faith. I mean, here's a man that wrote about God, that sang about God, but no longer believes in God. August 2019, he said this, time for some real talk. I am genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. I want you to see that's not true. Uh, Lots of people talk about it. Now, I understand how he feels here. Listen, I was personally mentored by a pastor many years ago of a very large church. And while he was mentoring me spiritually, discipling me in my faith, little did I know that he was sleeping around with multiple women in the church and embezzling money from the church for which he would later go to prison as a felon. Now, when I found out about that, I was angry But I wasn't angry at God. He didn't do it. It wasn't his fault. 
You see, God is not the author of evil, but he allowed the possibility of evil. Now, why is that? I'm telling you, it's because God knew as he created all that is, including me and you, he knew that a world without choice would be worse than a world without pain. You see, God gets blamed for so many things. He created a world of perfection, a world that was meant for perfection with God and with other men and women. But God said, do not sin, for with sin will come suffering and chaos and confusion. And the reason God gave us the ability to choose him or choose sin was because we were made for relationship with him. We were made to be in a love relationship with God as our father. And he said, you as his sons and daughters. Oh, think about this for a moment. This is the age of artificial intelligence. A few years ago, there was actually a movie made about a man that fell in love with his phone. I mean, it was really creepy if you ask me. He falls in love with his phone. He falls in love with the woman in the phone. Now, it's called artificial intelligence for a reason. Unlike you and me, God gave us real intelligence, a real personal volition, a real ability to make real moral choices to love him or reject him. Why? Because if God didn't give us the ability to say no to him, then our yes would have no meaning. It'd be impossible to have a relationship with him. Uh, think about this. There's a woman in the phone. Now, listen, I'm going to ask her a question. Listen to what she says. Hey, Siri, do you love me? I respect you. Ah, uh, she respects me. I, uh, Siri. Siri, do you love me? I respect you. Well, she respects me. Okay, that's a start. Siri, say I love you, Phil. I'm a big fan of yours, too, and I want you to be happy and healthy. So if you're feeling concerned about your health, try saying, how do I know if I have coronavirus? Oh, she cares about me. She's a fan of Phil. Now, here's the reality. We all know she doesn't really care about me. She's not really a fan. She's programmed to say that. You see, that's called artificial intelligence. Unlike real intelligence, God gave you the real ability to love him like he loves you. And you see, that is why people do bad things. It's not God's fault, but it's the fault of men. It's called sin. And I want you to see, he goes on. So you got preachers that fall. Nobody talks about it. Well, of course we do. Uh, how many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Well, actually we do. I'm going to do a whole message on this when we all gather again in person on miracles. Understand, God does miracles, but he doesn't do them all the time. You know why? Because he wants us to live by faith and not just sight. Uh, he goes on. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. Well, that's not exactly true either. I've done messages in the past on the historicity and the reliability of the Bible. He says, how can God be loved yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Well, that's not exactly true either. A lot of people talk about it. Hey, the reality is the ultimate question is not how can a loving God send people to hell? It's how can a holy, sinless God send people to heaven? He goes on, he says this, Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet, true. They can also be some of those beautiful and loving people, true. He says, but it's not for me. 
What happened to Marty Sampson? Here was a guy that wrote about God, that sang about God, that led other people to worship God, and he himself has now walked away from God. Listen, people don't lose their faith, they leave their faith. And the reason they leave their faith is quite frankly, they always had a plastic faith. They had a plastic Jesus. You see, this is the Jesus for most people. I want you to notice something. He's a bobblehead Jesus. Isn't he cute? He always says yes. He will never say no. He will never make any demands. He doesn't make any commands. He's small enough. I can put him away and hide him when I don't need him. And then I can pull him out anytime I want him. I can carry him around and take him with me, but he doesn't ultimately have any control over me. In fact, I control him. I tell him what to do. He doesn't tell me what to do. You see, right there's the problem for Marty Sampson and so many others. We have all been in some way so influenced by a faulty view of God that ultimately we come to this crisis of faith with questions that we cannot fully answer and we start losing our faith and maybe even leaving our faith. And this, you see, is the linchpin of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is going to come to this conclusion. It says in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 2, 4, Habakkuk 2, 4 is the linchpin of this book of Habakkuk. This verse is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. And I want you to see what God is teaching Habakkuk, that crisis does not ruin one's faith, but merely reveals one's faith. You see, crisis reveals the condition of one's heart. You see, the reality is the problem of the human being is a problem of the human heart. Crisis reveals the condition of one's heart, the proud heart versus the humble heart. You see, for Marty Sampson, his problem was that he had a proud heart. He has a proud heart. He thinks he knows more than God. He could actually be God better than God. You see, it reveals a proud heart. And that is why crisis simply reveals your heart. That's why two people can go through the same pain and the same trial, the same tribulation. One turns to God and the other turns away from God. That's why two people can hear the same sermon. One is changed and turns us to God and the other remains the same and walks away from God. You see, God is revealing the condition of your heart. And he wants ultimately for us to live by faith. Now here's the reality. Three times the apostles in the New Testament quote from Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, the just shall live by faith. But listen carefully. It's easy to be saved by faith, but God wants to teach us to live by faith. And being saved by faith is actually easier than living by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that act of grace, and that he died for your sin, and he rose again, when you put your faith in that act of God's grace, and that Jesus died in your place, you are saved from your sin, from sin's penalty, so that you can live forever, eternally. But listen carefully. It's one thing to be saved by faith, that's easy. But living by faith, that's hard. You see, a lot of us have enough faith to get into heaven, but not enough faith to get through the day. 
And God allows crisis in our lives to teach us how to walk in the night by focusing on the light. You see, ultimately, God's not trying to ruin your faith, but reveal your faith and refine your faith because the just shall live by faith. And understand, a lot of people think, well, faith is just taking a blind leap and crossing your fingers and hoping it's true. But you know what it says in Hebrews chapter Uh, 11 and verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith isn't just blind. Faith is built on substance. It's built on evidence. Faith isn't just wishful thinking and hoping something's true. Faith is built on real substance, real rational reason is built on evidence that we can prove is true. And I want you to see, this is why Habakkuk's name means wrestle and embrace. Uh, Here's Habakkuk, a prophet of God, a preacher of God, who's both embracing God while he's wrestling with questions with God. You see, the reality is God wants you to fully embrace him even as you wrestle with the questions. It's okay to have questions. God is not threatened by questions. It's okay to have some doubts while you exercise faith. In fact, the longer I've lived, the more I'm convinced the pathway to maturity is as you wrestle with questions personally. Uh, You can have doubts and faith. This is how Dr. Martin Luther King put it. He said this. He said, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. In other words, you can put your faith in Jesus who forgave your sin. It's what Jesus called being born again so you can define your destination. And I want you to see, you can have questions. You see, the whole staircase is beyond what you can comprehend. Just take your first step of faith. You don't have to fully reconcile your questions about what the Bible says about creation versus everything you've been taught about evolution for you to put your faith in that Jesus died for your sin and he rose from the dead. Uh, You don't have to fully reconcile all the questions about, God, if you are so good, why is there so much suffering? You take your first step of faith and that's putting your faith in what Jesus did. You see, the foundation of what it means to be a Christian is the resurrection. The Christ died, but three days later, he arose, and today he is alive. And you see, ultimately, that is what changed you personally. That is what changed me. At 21 years of age, I was wrestling with some of these questions, but unlike Habakkuk, I wasn't embracing I was wrestling, but not embracing. I've been raised in a Christian home. I was a Sunday school kid. I've been taught all the Bible stories. At 21 years of age, I began to question, do I believe what I believe just because I've been taught it, just because I've been raised to believe it? Is there any evidence for any of it? I was in school and getting a higher education at the University of Kansas, and uh, you know, I, I was starting to question some of what I had learned about Jesus, and you know, if this is true and this is true, could this also be true? And and there's some things I began to question. I began to lean in. Is there evidence for what I believe? I ran across Dr. Peter Stoner, MIT scientist. 
So, you know, we're taught that maybe God isn't there or God doesn't care and maybe all of this happened accidentally and randomly. And you know what he did as an MIT scientist and an expert in the modern science of probability? He showed conclusively, mathematically, that none of this could have gotten here. All of creation, all of the universe and everything we see, it could not have gotten here randomly, accidentally. The probability, mathematically, of all this happening accidentally is a complete statistical impossibility. You see, scientifically, what we've learned is the universe is not eternal. It had to have a beginning. And what Dr. Stoner said is that mathematically what that means is there must be a beginner. And so if indeed there is a God, then which God? In a world of many gods. And I began to question, could it be Jesus, the one I've been taught? But if so, is there evidence? What is the substance and what we know for sure? And when you don't know what you can't see, you go to what you know. In the, in the middle of the night, you go toward the light. I began leaning and I began listening. I began reading. I began studying. And did you know that the Old Testament prophecies, what we call the Old Testament scripture, 61 prophecies made about the Messiah, the Christ, when he would come. And there's one man in history who fulfilled all 61 You see, you don't have to just blindly take a step of faith and take that first step on the staircase. There is evidence and there is substance over and over again. Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk prophesied that one day the Christ would come, God's son, the promised one, the anointed one. And when he did, he would die for our sin to reverse the curse of sin for all men and all women, that paradise lost would be paradise regained, that he would redeem all of creation from the curse of sin. And you know, over and over again, 61 prophecies were made about the Messiah, this promised one. So when he came, everyone would know that he is the one. And did you know there's one man in history that fulfilled all 61? It was prophesied that the Messiah would be a Jew, and Jesus was, of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus was, of the household of Jesse, and Jesus was, of the lineage of David, and and Jesus was, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, and Jesus was, that he'd be betrayed for silver, and Jesus was, that he would be crucified, and Jesus was, between two criminals, and Jesus was, that his garments would be gambled for, and Jesus was. You see, over and over and over again, prophecy after prophecy made about him centuries before he came, and Jesus fulfilled all 61. My friends, we can prove that Jesus is the only one in history that fulfilled all these prophecies, literally, that did not happen accidentally, that defies the mathematical probability. It could have only happened providentially. It happened supernaturally. Jesus is the one, the promised one. And I want you to see, he proved who he was. Jesus himself prophesied that he would indeed be crucified, that he would die. But three days later, he would raise from the dead fully alive. You see, he claimed to be more than humanity, that he was also deity. He died for our sins. But three days later, he rose again, proving he is indeed God more than merely a man. And we know that he rose from the dead. People say, Phil, how do you know? Listen carefully. There is evidence and substance for anything you have faith in personally. It's not blind. It's not wishful thinking. 
Did you know on the night that Jesus was betrayed, his followers fled when they saw their friend going down, they got out of town. Peter himself, the most famous of the apostles, three times denied even knowing him. You see, instead of standing with his friend, he chose to save his own skin. But did you know, after hiding for his life, trying to save his life, and running for his life, within just a matter of days, he would be seen boldly, publicly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to see something had to have changed him. What changed him from living cowardly to giving his life courageously? I'm convinced there's only one thing that could have saved him. It's what he saw with his eyes. Only one thing could have changed him. It's what he witnessed with his own eyes. He saw Jesus die, but three days later he saw him alive, and you couldn't talk him out of it. He would be willing to give his life, having tried to save his life. You see, there's no way else to explain the disciples changed lives. Instead of running to save their life, they would all eventually die a martyr's death because what they had seen with their own eyes. You see, the foundation is the resurrection. Christ died, but three days later, he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I want you to see that ultimately, this is about as real as many people see Jesus. I mean, the idea that Jesus could be alive after having been crucified Phil, it sounds more like a fantasy. It can't be real history. And I want you to see that today can be the day that you see Jesus in a brand, brand new way, that he is more than some bobblehead Jesus, some plastic Jesus, some four-leaf clover. He's more than some rabbit's foot redeemer, some genie in a bottle that you can take with you and hide when you don't need him and then pull him out when you want him. I want you to see that today he is exercising power and authority as son of God and Lord and Savior. We're living in today this pandemic, this coronavirus. Corona, the Latin word for crown, I do not find it at all accidental, perhaps even providential. The word corona in the Latin means crown because when you look at this virus under a microscope, it appears that it has a crown. This coronavirus wears a crown of death, but you understand that Jesus himself wears a crown of life. Jesus has the crown of life. Coronavirus has the crown of death. And this coronavirus has canceled one event after another, after another, after another. But it's also, I want you to see, something else has been canceled because Jesus came out of the grave. He has canceled sin and he has canceled death. All we like sheep had gone astray. We'd all laid, we'd all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Do you understand that Jesus wears the crown of life and he has canceled? the penalty of sin, which is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He died for our sin, but three days later, he rose from the dead. Isaiah 53 and verse five, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. You see people say sometimes, well, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? But do you realize it's actually happened only once? You see only one time in history has God allowed a bad thing to happen to a truly good person. 
and it was Jesus. And Jesus volunteered for it. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The sinless one died for the sinless ones. The wages of sin is death, and somebody had to die to take our penalty, and it was Jesus when he bled at Calvary. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinful, that he might bring us to God. And that is why this one wears a crown of life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He said, I've come to give you life. You see, he is the light in the night. And this is what God wants to do in your life. Wherever you find yourself right now, in the season of uncertainty and anxiety, in those moments where you lose your health, your wealth, he wants you to see that he is doing something exponentially to forever define your destiny eternally. God always brings redemption out of the agony of the crucifixion. In that moment, as Jesus hung upon the cross 2,000 years ago, it would have looked to the world like a complete loss, like God has lost, but God had not lost. God had won. And you see what looked like a horrible tragedy, a tribulation, the Son of God going through the agony of the crucifixion, it is what gave birth to the joy of the resurrection. And this is what God wants to do in your life. And this is what God was teaching Habakkuk. Habakkuk has questioned God. God, are you there? God, don't you care? And now God comes to Habakkuk. And here's what he says, Habakkuk 1.5. Look, he says, among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. He comes back and says, Habakkuk, I'm doing things. If I told it to you, you would not believe it. He says, Habakkuk, I'm doing some things that you can't yet see. And even if I showed it to you, you could not fathom it. You could not imagine it. I am personally convinced that God is utterly sovereign, that God has allowed this season, what I've called this divine interruption, because he wants us to do some self-examination, a little personal introspection, because this is the moment that he wants to define your forever destination. And no, this is not like an Easter weekend like we have ever fathomed or imagined. Nobody went out and bought a new Easter dress. No, you did not put on your Sunday best and you didn't go to church on this Easter weekend out of some family tradition, some religious obligation. He has got our attention because ultimately he wants to define our destination. He wants to define a brand new direction. He wants to do it by for the first time you taking that first step of faith in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has forever changed the trajectory of my life. Today it has the power to change yours. He says, Habakkuk, it's not what you think and it's not what you see visibly. I'm doing so much more than you could ever imagine behind the scenes. And at this very moment, this is what God is doing. So many people are living in a panic, so many people living in despair. And I realize the pain is real. The uncertainty is there. 10 million Americans suddenly out of work in the last two weeks. And there are times it just makes absolutely no sense. I know somebody personally 
that nine months ago, God took them to a brand new city with a brand new job, kind of a dream job, with a phenomenal young company, and less than a year later, that company's just trying to survive, and they got laid off two weeks ago. God, that doesn't make sense. I mean, God, if you knew that ahead of time, why did you even give me that job? If you knew that ahead of time, why did you move me to that city? I want you to see that God always sees things that you and I can't see. And I'm going to tell you, God right now is doing things behind the scenes. He's bringing an awakening. There's a move of God happening all over our nation. He right now is bringing revival. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself. He is doing things during this quarantine, changing and transforming and redeeming and resurrecting. He's doing it over and over again, and he can do it for you. As he's done it for others, he's done it for me. So I asked people recently just to share what God is doing behind the scenes in their family personally, in their life individually. Here's what one mother said. Uh, One thing is posted on our Facebook page. One thing God is doing during the 714 and uh, 7.14 a.m. and p.m. prayer time. So I asked our church, along with thousands of others, to set their alarm on their phone for 7.14 a.m., 7.14 p.m., and together in unity, we're praying a prayer of repentance and a prayer of revival in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7.14. So she says this, uh, one thing God is doing during the 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. time of prayer, spending time in God's presence, he is drawing my heart away from comfort and busyness and back to my first love, Jesus, back to fervent intercession. He is drawing our hearts away from the plastic Jesus, the bobblehead Jesus, the four-leaf clover Jesus, the prosperity Jesus. He's drawing our hearts back to the true and living God, the God that hasn't promised we will never suffer, the God that hasn't promised we will never lose our health and never lose our wealth, the God that has promised our salvation, a forever destination, the one that has said, I may not keep you from the storm, but I will indeed save you through the storm. You see, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that is. The same God that did not spare his own son from suffering, but resurrected his son is the same God that has the power to resurrect your life even when you suffer. She says, one thing I'm thankful for through all of this is it gives us a new platform to teach our children to pray aside from just before dinner. God is moving in the life of my nine-year-old who is joining in the 714 prayer He's been praying for God to give wisdom and strength to our president and for another great awakening. After having just studied the great awakening in our fourth grade history class, he's very familiar with this and is fervently praying for God to bring about another one. Our four-year-old is praying for people to know Jesus. Our three-year-old is praying for his four-year-old brother to share with him. I mean, here you've got children praying for revival and awakening in our nation. I'm telling you, God is there, God cares, he hears, and it's happening. God is using this pain and this suffering for good eternally, and he wants to do it for you personally. So our youth pastors, our fusion pastors, have asked our students, our teenagers, to spend this time doing a Bible study, and they use something called SOAP. It's an acronym, don't have time to explain it. And then he said, 
post online what God is showing you. Here is revival happening even among teenagers. I'm telling you, when I was a teenager, this didn't happen in my life, but it's happening among the youngest among us. God is doing things. If we could understand it, if we could fully fathom it, we could hardly believe it. We could hardly imagine exactly what he told Habakkuk. Habakkuk, if I explained what I was doing, you couldn't even fully get it. It is too amazing. Look what happens. Is uh, Chloe Schumer, one of our teenagers in our church, Uh, She says, I got a direct message from a girl yesterday. She was so encouraged by everyone's soaps and testimonies that she had the desire to pray and open her Bible, and for the first time in years, so, so cool. Addie responds, that is so awesome. I had a girl direct message me too that had some questions about reading the Bible and how to start and stuff, and she's been texting me today, and she's so eager for more. It is so cool. Chloe says, oh, yes, so cool. And then Chloe says, my friend, Grace, that I told you guys about yesterday was so inspired by you guys' posts and wanted to follow Jesus and ended up receiving salvation over FaceTime. This is so amazing. Praise God. Wow. It is absolutely remarkable what God is doing in the middle of this chaos, the confusion, the pain, the uncertainty, the anxiety. God is moving the question is, will you let him move in you as he's moving in so many others also? You see, the simple reality is that for every tribulation, it should drive us to a personal crucifixion that leads us to a joyous resurrection. If this is the God of your salvation, it will crumble under crisis. It will crumble under tribulation. But if you believe in the true and living God, the one that died for your sin, that rose again, that even now is reigning as the sovereign monarch of might and majesty, it will forever change your life. It will forever change your destiny. And for every crisis God brings into our life, it should drive us to a personal crucifixion that ultimately leads us to a joyous resurrection. And this, you see, is what Jesus meant by these words, for whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Today is the day to let go of your life because as you die, you then become fully alive. 21 years of age, I was wrestling with God, but wouldn't give up and wouldn't give in. Unlike Habakkuk, whose name means embrace and wrestle, I would wrestle, but I wouldn't embrace wrestling with God, running from God, wouldn't give up, wouldn't give in, questioning God. God, are you there? God, do you care? Coming back from Lawrence, Kansas, 1989 for Christmas break. I'm 21 years of age. I've been running from God, wrestling with God, but not embracing God, not by faith, not completely, not the son of God. And on that day, God intercepted my life, literally. 435 and state line right here in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm driving on the eastbound lanes, almost home. Got ran off the road by an 18-wheeler semi. 
The tracks in the snow told the story. My car went out of control. I crossed over the median, went into oncoming lanes. I'm completely out of control. I go back across the median. I look up. There's another 18-wheeler semi coming. I realize we're going to collide. And in that moment, I resigned my life. And I'm telling you, it's exactly like you hear in life and death situations. What takes only milliseconds seems to slow down. Everything is happening in slow motion. My life is flashing in front of my eyes. I've been raised to be a Christian, but I've been more wrestling and running than embracing and following and believing. I've been living in sin, in the pig pen of sin. I've been the prodigal son in the far country. And I don't even know for sure if I'm a Christian. And in that moment, I look up, I see that 18-wheeler coming. This is a crisis. And I resigned my life, and I knew I was about to die. And the last thing I thought right before collision was these words, I don't know where I'm going, but I guess I'm going to know now. Well, as you can see, I lived. I personally am thankful. (laughs) But listen carefully, that is the day I tell people I died. In 1989, I went to a funeral, and that funeral was mine. And that funeral changed my life forever. I went home, I got on my face in my bedroom, literally kneeling down before God. I repented of my sin. No more wrestling, no more running. I was now fully embracing And I will promise you, as I went down, there was a crucifixion that took place. But as I stood up from that crucifixion, there was a resurrection. One man had died and a new man was now fully alive. That was the day that I came to faith, full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can promise you the words of Jesus are true. He that will try to save his life will lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. What will it take for you? What kind of crisis will it take for you? God literally had to send an 18-wheeler semi to run me over to get my attention. Listen, we have never faced a COVID-19 pandemic like this one. If this doesn't get your attention, what will it take? Today is the day. Like Habakkuk, come with your questions, but take that first step of faith. When you don't know what you don't know, You run to what you do know, and what we do know is that 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men. He would bear all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and become like him. And by faith today, he will forgive your sin. It's what Jesus called being born again. He will come into your life and change you and remake you. And through that crucifixion, you can be reborn in the joy of the resurrection. I'm gonna get on my knees as an act of humility before God as I did that day in 1989. I'm gonna pray a similar prayer that I prayed all those years ago. It changed my life, has the power to change yours. Would you bow with me right now, wherever you are, wherever you're watching, and if you don't know for sure your destination, today can be the day 
that you embrace the crucifixion and the joy of the resurrection on this Easter weekend and it will forever change your destination. Pray with me right now, would you do that? Jesus, I come with a lot of questions. I wouldn't pray this. God will hear your prayer, he'll forgive your sin. I come with a lot of questions. And there's some things that I don't fully understand, that I'm not fully certain. But I believe that you died for my sin, that you rose again, and that you are alive today. And I confess that I cannot get to heaven. Even though I've been a good person, I've done my best, but I realize that heaven is a place of perfection. But Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. And right now I ask you to forgive me of my sin, that you would redefine forever my life and my future. Today, I go to a funeral. That funeral is mine. I die to myself. I let go of my life to live the life that you want me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweet friends, if you prayed that with me, you're what Jesus called born again. He is the light in the night and he will guide your life. And I want you to do something right now. Listen carefully. There's a link you're gonna go to because we wanna help you take your next step now that you've taken the most important step, putting your faith in the foundation of the resurrection. God bless you. I love you very much. Wow, what, a, what an amazing service that was. You know, Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and uh, you have just recognized for the first time your need for a savior. Maybe you have been wandering far too long. Maybe you've been walking away from Christ. Maybe you grew up in the church and you turned and you went the other way and God's drawing you back to himself this morning. Uh, Maybe for some of you also, Maybe you've never been in church or experienced church before and you've, you've actually maybe even been offended by it. And to today, God's changing your heart and He's showing you that He is a God of love that cares deeply for you. You know, maybe some of you today have actually made a profession of faith. You've stepped over that line from darkness into light. And can I just tell you, welcome. We're so glad that you've made that decision. We want to come alongside you. We want to come with you and, and to, to, to teach you and to guide you in what this new faith in Christ really looks like. And we, we, we'd like to know that. So today, if you could go to livingproof.co slash next steps, you can fill out that form and share this decision that you've made and somebody will follow up with you. And we will begin to help you uh, explore what this new life looks like. There's another way that you can do this as well. You can text the word decision to the number on the screen and somebody will follow up with you today about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. 
Some of you have also asked, hey, how can I serve in this time? Uh, what maybe are my next steps? We have a lot of places for you to serve. We've got a lot of uh, opportunities for you to take your next steps. Maybe that's joining a group. Uh, maybe that is discipleship and learning more about the Scripture and the Word of God and the heart of our Savior. Maybe that's learning what it looks like to be a generous giver, and, or maybe it's looking uh, at what it really takes to serve in the church. I just invite you to go to livingproof.co slash nextsteps today, and you can do the same thing there. You can express your interest, and again, somebody will follow up with you and get you going. Finally, um, in this time of quarantine and church being different and life being different, uh, one thing that we've seen are a lot of stories that are going on in your lives of God meeting you where you're at, stretching you, challenging you, teaching you, loving you, and caring for you. We would love to hear those stories so that we can share them. If you go to our website and you go to livingproof.co slash story, you can, you can share your story there. And we, uh, we, we read those and we look at them. And if there's some stories there that would be inspiring to others and encouraging, we want to use those for the kingdom of God. Thanks for joining us today. What a great day. What a great time of worship. What a great word from God's scripture. I hope that you leave encouraged. I hope that you leave strengthened. I hope that you leave ready to attack a week for the kingdom of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. We love you, church, and we will see you soon.